Hello, and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library, a podcast for cool people who love libraries, where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Maria Cotto. I'm the bilingual children's library at the Pawtucket Public Library, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Emily. I'm the Youth Services Coordinator at Cranston Public Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Welcome, both of you, to the show, and I'm very excited to have you here. Um, Later, we'll be talking a bit about the Latino Book Month Awards that happen here in Rhode Island. But first, we're going to start off the show, as we always do, with what we've currently been reading. So what have you guys been reading recently? Okay, so um, this month continues to be a celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, which is from September 15 to October 15. So to celebrate you all, I will be sharing one of the book nominees for the uh, 2021 Rhode Island Latino Books Month. And these books are written by Latinos for Latinos. Uh, we encourage all Rhode Islanders to read books in both English and Spanish written by Latino authors and illustrators. But today I'll be talking about a special book that's dear to my heart. And this book that I'll be sharing is called Selena, Queen of Tejano Music by Sylvia Lopez and illustrated by Paola Escobar. It is a picture book biography that recounts the life of Selena Quintanilla, who is a trailblazer of Tejano music also known as Mexican music. Now, in this uh, picture of biography, uh, it gives a recount of uh, Selena's life and how she became the trailblazer that we remember her by. Um, It has beautiful illustrations, um, and it all begins right at home. Um, She comes from a big family um, of there's three siblings. It's her brother and sister and herself and her parents. Um, going back into the 1970s, uh, things uh, were kind of hard during that time. And her dad, Abraham, went from working at a chemical chemical company to later starting a family band to support the family. Um Abraham was a musician himself during his younger days and saw that all his children were very talented. So one day um, he quit his job. Um, He also had opened a restaurant and that didn't go well. So he stopped doing that and everyone instruments and just created this family band. Um, um, All except Selena because Selena was the main star of the group. She has a beautiful voice and had a lot of great talent for singing. So soon the family had a name for their band called the Selena and the Dinos. And at first they would perform at their dad's restaurant the weekends before it closed. And then things changed and they started um, going from place to place. Um, carnivals, other restaurants, anywhere where they would be invited to uh, perform. Um, the picture book also talks about how Selena had to stop going at school. She started singing at the age of nine years old and to help with um, supporting the family economically, she had to stop going to school and she had to do distance learning. Uh, she also had to learn Spanish because 
all of Abraham's kids were born here in the United States, so um, they didn't really grow up speaking Spanish. And with Selena having this great talent of singing, he wanted her to sing in Spanish. So he taught her how to read in Spanish. Later on, as she began to get older, she started designing clothes, writing her own songs in English and Spanish. And some of my favorite songs are Bidi Bidi Bum Bum, Como La Flor, and Dreaming of You. And it wasn't until the 1980s that they offered um, their family a big recording contract. Every time she had her concerts, it would be extremely crowded with fans, and she was called the Queen of Tex-Mex. She was extremely, extremely huge until tragedy hit her life. Um, I almost don't want to give it away, but um, in later on in her life in adulthood, um, she has this great big fan of hers who uh, decides to help her by creating a fan club. And from that, it turned into a tragedy and, um, and there's a murder. But which is really, really sad and breaks my heart because I'm a huge fan of Selena and I'm pretty sure if she was still alive today, I would be at one of her concerts every time. Um, so it's been 25 years since Selena's death, but we continue to celebrate her life and her music as if she was still here today. Um, like I said, please, if you can, Try to get a copy of this book. Again, it's called Selena, Queen of Tejano Music by Silvia Lopez and beautifully illustrated by Paola Escobar. Really does sum up her life. Um, and in the back, it also has um, a timeline of how everything happened. And what I like best about this picture book is that they, the author gives us a, um, a picture into her life, but the tragedy about her death is left in the back notes separately. Um, and I'm glad she does that because here you are reading a story about a Latina icon and she is inspiring and and wonderful and then there's that set part and I'm glad it's just something separate from the story of her life. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you, I think that's always an interesting question in picture book biographies is how you deal with difficult material like that. Um, because it's, you know, these are true stories of people's lives. So you can't make it, um, you know, appropriate for kids. Like they have these complete experiences and I'm always interested in how authors and sometimes illustrators are part of to deal with either tragic things that happen to people or maybe even bad choices that they made. And as an adult, we kind of like, you know, are comfortable looking at their whole life. But in a, but a picture book biography is beautiful at the same time because it's a shorter format that you can just like focus in on an aspect of a person's life. And it doesn't necessarily feel like, oh, you're leaving things out. You're just focusing in on um, like shining a spotlight on one part of it. So it sounds like in this case, the author um, was really thoughtful and did a beautiful job. I'm always interested in how they will manage that. Actually, when I finished reading the picture book, I said, well, there's something missing in here because I know her story. I know her whole life story. But it wasn't until I began to flip into the back pages that she individually made notes, um, not only about her um, tragedy, but also about um, how she won um, Grammys and um, 
sort of Selena behind the scenes, extra information on the side. Um, and that's a good point, too, because I feel like um, adults love picture book biographies when they read them. It's like a format that there's nothing similar in adult literature, like so many things like there's a, you know, just a kid version. But a picture book biography is so unique because it even like walks the line between fiction and nonfiction because they're usually illustrated not with photographs, but with, you know, an, an artist, you know, creating a picture. And of course, it's based on reality, but the particular scene they create, usually there's no evidence whether that happened or not. There's some exceptions where they actually use photos to work off of, but you have to have a little bit of imagination, I feel, that you put into a picture book biography. But so I don't think that all adults realize, like, you're missing out if you don't occasionally check out this format because it's really unique to children's books. It's imaginative, it's beautiful, but also, you were just saying it's this it often will like start you on a journey like it gives you these really interesting tidbits and it's impossible for you not to go read and find out a little more when you read a good one so um, I hope like adults listening will take your recommendation too and 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 she puts it straight out like this what happened here was a tragedy it was a murder and it's very clear and I'm pretty sure that kids are gonna be like mom what's what's murder what does that mean I mean, these things that may be difficult for people, for parents particularly, to talk to their children about, but is a reality. And I'm glad that she did not leave that out and did include it in the picture book, even though it's a tough topic to, or subject to bring up. And again, this book, you can either flip through that page and read about what happened in her murder, or you can choose to skip it and not read that part. So it's sort of the, the author's giving you the option to read that section, not with your child. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's also sometimes you're going to want to have these conversations with your kid. So it, this is, you know, an opportunity to do some, you know, because you don't want to... I don't know. You want to have like a good opportunity in a safe place when you're sharing something with your child to answer questions like that. So like you said, the author gives you the parent the choice here. And also sometimes parents like they need the opportunity to have those discussions. So a book like that. And again, picture book biographies, man, they're just like a really interesting teaching tool. And I wish people check them out a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, Maria, what a great recommendation. I'm excited to check it out myself. It's just like taps into so many interesting things, including music. We haven't even talked about that. I'm going to be able to read it and then I'm going to be able to play her songs. I'm going to love it. I mean, I'm a little familiar with Selena's music. Oh my gosh. It's going to be this great multimedia experience. So something to look forward to. Thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, it sounds great. And the whole time, I think it's interesting that Em brought up about adults checking it out, because the whole time you were talking, Maria, I was thinking about that probably a lot of adults would be interested in this because I they're the people who really remember her because she's not with us anymore. Um, but yeah, it sounds fantastic. I'll have to check it out myself. So Emily, how about you? What have you been reading? All right, so I thought it would be fun since I'm a children's librarian to share the most non-kid-friendly book that I've read recently. It's um, a horror book, so it's also good for the time of year. It just, like, caught me at the right time. And so it's called Mexican Gothic, and... um, I was attracted to it. Sorry, it's by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And I was attracted to it because it's set in Mexico, but there were all these comparisons to these um, sort of English Gothic novels that I love. So the Brontes and Daphne du Maurier. And I was just like, what is this book? I was very excited because that's a lot of what I read when I was in 
um, high school and beginning of college, I really loved those kind of like anything that happened on like a windswept moor and was a little bit creepy, but also romantic. So this sounded like it was going to be um, similar to that, but set in Mexico. So I was pretty excited to read it. And it was definitely one of those books that actually infiltrated my dreams so it's it was horror which I read only occasionally because I'm very susceptible to its effects and so I definitely had some very weird dreams so that's my warning to anyone who's considering reading it because dreams are actually part of it too um so it's like double creepy because the character has weird dreams and then you have weird dreams about the character having weird dreams and you're like, am I also being haunted? Um, but basically this young woman, she gets a le disturbing letter from her cousin who has recently married an Englishman who lives in Mexico um, and is the owner of this mine and this grand estate kind of in a more rural area. And so she, she when she gets this letter from her cousin, she, her father sends her there to like find out what's really going on because the letter makes it sound like her cousin's having a psychotic break. And so she's then trapped in the creepy house. So that's, you know, this great trope of Gothic novels where, you know, she doesn't have a lot of help investigating. Everybody's a little bit strange. They watch her every movement. And like I said, she starts to have strange dreams and she's sleepwalking and she starts to not be sure what's real and what isn't and who she can trust and who she can't. And her cousin sometimes seems perfectly normal when they have conversations, but she has this strange illness. So she can only see her cousins at certain times because she always needs to rest. And the doctor is always saying like, no, you can't see her now. And they don't want her to go into the village and talk to anybody else. And so, I mean, you can see where all this is going, but it's also one of those where you're like, okay, is it gonna be something actually supernatural, like something fantastic and magical? Or is it, is there going to be sort of a, a scientific or a interpersonal explanation? Like is someone playing a trick, like what's really going on? So obviously I don't want to give that part away. Um, but that was super creepy and also excellent, perfect for this time of year. Um, and so I agree with all of the comparisons to my favorite novels, only even more horrific than anything Daphne du Maurier or the Brontes would write. Yeah. It was, it was intense, and I had intense dreams, but it was really good. So um, that's one thing I've been reading. I also just read the third in a series of four that I'm really into, which is um, it's the book I just read is called The Memory of Babel, um, but the it's by Crystal Dows, and it's actually um, being translated. I think it was originally written in French, and so it drives me crazy because I can see, like, the cover of the next one in the series, the fourth one, um, and, you know, it's French title, but I have to wait for it to be translated before I can read it, but the first one was called The Winter's Promise, and it's the Mirror Visitor Quartet, and it's one of those books that kind of transcends YA and adult um, categories. It's a fantasy and the idea is that it's set in this world where if you imagine the world kind of like a sphere or a planet, it's been split apart, like, you know, shattered from inside, but people can still live on the different sections. They're called arcs, I guess, like, you know, because it was a curved planet. Now there's these separate se sections. They're like islands floating in space. And um, each of the arcs, people have a different sort of, they call it a family talent and they have a, like a family god that kind of rules that arc and th there's a young woman who 
is an animist, which means that she can um, manipulate objects, make them sort of come to life or have personalities. In her case, she can read their history when she touches them. And she is um, in a political mood. She has to marry this man from another arc who turns out to have like quite a plan of his own. And he's very mathematically minded. And the arc that they're going to, it's like freezing cold and it's completely different she's used to and he barely speaks to her and he's horrible so of course you know they're gonna fall in love but um i really liked the the world building and i'm completely drawn into the question of how do the arcs get split up and now they seem to be falling apart even further so i'm three books into this quartet and just dying because i have to wait till the fourth one is translated so those are my those are my problems, Taylor and Maria. That's what I'm dealing wow. with over here. <laughs> Strange I feel like and... I just have so many questions just based <laughs> on your explanation. I'm like, okay, but how does that affect like the gravitate, the gravity and the rotation of that planet and like this movement of the sun? And then it's like, if it's split in half, do you have to like get on a spaceship to go to another arc? I mean, there are, those are all good questions. And the one thing I will just say is like, there's some very magical transportation. There are things like bird planes or bird buses. I feel like I forget what they're called, but like the bird flies holding the transportation and people can ride in it. But the best part is there's an explanation that's like the bird doesn't actually like have the strength to propel it. It just guides it. Like something else gives it the strength to fly. And like in another place, there was like this crazy sleigh ride where all of a sudden it was like, wait, we're not on the earth anymore. So, I mean, there are answers, but the answers would only cause you to have more questions. I guess I'll just have to read it then. You should. It's really good. It sounds right up my alley. But um, I'm deep in rip a reading season right now. So probably everything I talk about on the show is going to be things that are on our long list that might possibly make it to our short list. So all our listeners will get a lovely preview of what might be on the nominee list. Um, so I've read several graphic novels for the list recently. Um one I read was Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, uh, which is DC has done like a teen imprint they call DC Inc. And they've been doing a lot of teen one-off graphic novels of very popular comic characters. Um, there were parts of it I really liked. I felt like Harley's voice was very strong within the graphic novel. But for me personally, the art put me off a lot. The art was like black and white with like, sporadic deliberate uses of color and it was very detailed a lot of times without a lot of color and so like this hyper detailed like almost realistic art style but then like no color to make the details really come out so I struggled with that a little bit but I still think Harley Quinn is very popular and it probably will be very popular with teens it's it's a, a reimagining of her origin story where she's a student at Gotham High in high school. She meets Ivy while at Gotham High. And um, she also meets Joker, but in a very dis different context than the original canon. Um, so I, w I wanted to like it a lot because I was very excited about it being about Harley Quinn. But there was just a lot of it that kind of made me feel very lukewarm about it. The Wonder Woman Tempest Tossed was also one that I read and was nominated for the list. I did, I enjoyed a little bit more, but I also was disappointed with the art with that one because the cover was gorgeous and I expected the art style from the cover to kind of be all the way through the graphic novel and then it 
And so I was very sad about that. But there is some wonderful use of color when uh, Diane is still on the mascara. It's like teal blue for the ocean and like earth tones all together. So it That's quite lovely. Um, and Lori Halls Anderson wrote that she like took on a lot of tough subjects like she does frequently in her novels and really made people think about um, it, refugees specifically and, and, and what makes people American or what makes people belong places. And so it was very interesting. But again, it was something that I wish I had liked more than I actually did. So I'm hoping for some better graphic novel choices. There's a, a couple more still on the list. So I'm hoping we get a real good one in. Yeah, that's, that's what I noticed too. Like I, I was sharing with you guys this picture book about the, you know, from the author Sylvia Lopez. But I just uh, uh, found out that there are more, there are other picture books coming out uh, this year on on her life. And I'm like, well, oh, well, I don't know if it'll beat this one because I really like this picture book. But um, I just recently saw that there's another one coming in, in a couple of months um, about her, Lena's life as well. And it's sort of like, hmm, will I like it? Or I mean, because this one already won my heart. But um, but sometimes uh, you all have two good ones. Or you have a competition, and then you you read both of them, and you decide which one's best, and then you come back on the podcast. And that's you what I'm afraid of. I'm like, hmm. Uh, I, don't, I almost don't want to read the new one that's coming out because it's like I really like this one. Um, but um, <laughs> but um, it'll be interesting to see how that other author portrays her life in a picture book form. You did say this is a big. Let's. You said this is the 25th anniversary of her death this yeah, year, this right? Is a Right, it is the 25th oh. anniversary um, of of her death, so it makes sense that these uh, biographies are coming out um, about her. So, is there any other books that either of you want to mention before we move on? Okay. I still have a, another one um, that I could share. A, sure. a quick one. Um, this is also another nominee for the um, 2021 Rhode Island Latino Books Month Book Award. Um, and this is also by a Latina author, Julia Alvarez, um, um, Dominican author. Uh, she's mostly known for adult uh, fiction books, but this is uh, actual, I think this might be maybe her second or third uh, picture book. And this one's titled All Red Butterfly, A Meditation Story. And basically, this story is about a butterfly and how she's constantly in a rush, um, going from flower to flower and going about her to-do list and not stopping to rest and just taking a breath. So one day she um, comes along this bud flower and she um, wants to meet her. She wants to get to know the bud. And uh, she starts having these conversations. She's like, oh, no, you know what? I can't because I have all these things to do and I have to keep going. And the bud teaches her how to slow down, take a moment to remember when she was uh, in a cocoon, calm and just taking it easy and not rushing into things. So it sort of brings in the idea of meditation and take one thing to do at a time and not be rushing into this because children are not taught these things um you know because us adults are constantly um busy ourselves and we're all constantly going from one thing to another so the purpose of this book is to teach kids that 
yes, we all have a busy life, but we need to stop and make sure that we take time for ourselves to rest, to learn how to relax, and take one step at a time. So I really think it's a kind of a picture book that we need um, nowadays. Um, we live in a fast-paced society with all this technology and all these after-school activities and so on. So this book is just uh, coming out at a perfect time where we can all learn to not only deal with um, our fast-paced life, but also with the different things that are happening in our society. I mean, this COVID thing just took everyone by surprise, and no one was expecting it, and no one knows how to deal with it. And there's a, no better way than by meditation, just bring ourselves back down to focusing on ourselves and taking care of ourselves in and out. Yeah, that sounds like another great one. I've actually recently started to try to create a mindfulness collection at my library. So I will have to check that out and see if I can add that to some books that I already put together. And it's beautifully illustrated by Raul Colon, who I am a huge fan of. I love him so much. Oh my God, I love his books. Um, He's also, um, so if you know Raul Colon, he's... um, done the picture book imagine or or you might remember the picture book thomas and the library lady and we'll return to the show after a quick break need calm crave less stress join us for our fall meditation series each session will present a different take on what makes meditation a and appealing. The next session, Meditation for a Healthy Lifestyle, is Tuesday, November 10th at 6.30 p.m. The following session is Tuesday, December 1st and is about the connection between body, mind, and spirit. For more information and to register, visit cranstonlibrary.org slash October dash meditation. Looking for another way to keep up with what's going on at the Cranston Public Library? Sign up for our email newsletter. You'll be among the first to learn about upcoming programs for kids, teens, and adults, and new services and collections coming to your library. Subscribe at cranstonlibrary.org. So, Let's move into uh, what we've been watching or consuming in some way to entertain ourselves. I know you both are, I, I assume, Maria, based on some things you said before we recorded, that you have kids. And so I know you both are very busy and probably don't have a lot of time for yourselves. But Yes, but the solution to that is just force your children to listen to and watch the things you like, um, which <laughs> I, not that I And then they that. start imitating you. Oh, that's true, actually. <laughs> my child just imitates me all the time at start stop. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have see, these are things, these are tips I need from parents whose kids are a little older because my son is only 17 months, so he doesn't really talk yet. He just goes, eh, eh, all the time. So 
I have not even considered that. Although I'm always wanting his father when he's uh, driving in the car that soon, soon he will be able to repeat the things we say and we should keep that in mind. Um, but we, I feel like we have succeeded in making my son like the music that we like. I mean, like I said, possibly because he doesn't know about the other options like Baby Shark, which I've never played for him. Um, because as a children's librarian, I have like already hit my uh, quota for Baby Shark forever and I will still have to do it in story time. Um, but one of my favorite artists, um, the band is called the Fleet Foxes, just came out with an album, and I was really excited. And it's, it's. I don't know if other people have seen this too, but now we're starting to see um, the effects of the pandemic on the creative process, and we're seeing like our TV shows come back without audiences. And so this album is kind of something that he wrote. So Robin Pecknold is in the band, but it seems that he did this whole album by himself. And then the rest of the band, he's like, I'm going to record some more songs with them. And then that'll go on the special edition record. But basically he decided he was the band and he drove around and like surfed and wrote music by himself for a few months. And that this album is the result of it. Um, but it's so good. And I don't know if people remember the Fleet Foxes, but they had this moment. There was like this folk revival going on. And this is how, you know, this dude is a true artist. Cause he's like, my music's really popular. So I'm just going to stop making music for a while and go to college instead. And so then he came back, oh, he's already made an album since then called the crack up and like reemerged, and you know now now is not the moment for a new folk anymore so i mean he still definitely has a dedicated following but it you know he kind of didn't capitalize on that moment when he was super popular but the crack up was kind of a darker album and then he says his new one is the um the ying to that yang but this one's like really kind of up and positive and just a really nice thing to listen to um but he's an amazing lyricist and yeah, so if anybody vaguely remembers seeing the Fleet Foxes, these like long haired, you know, folky guys performing, um, you know, years ago, and that was cool, you should check back in because Robin Pecknold's still making music and it's still really good, even though that's no longer what's like popular on the scene right now. So I was pretty pumped about that album coming out and I've been listening to it nonstop. And so has my husband and so has my child because that's how, that's how we do things. And so he has a little dance he does to music he likes, which is basically somehow he knows it's all in the hips. Like I can't dance. So I don't know why my son knows that like, that's how you dance, but he just like shakes his hips when there's like a good baseline he likes. So uh, he's given it his, his uh, stamp of approval also. And you should check it out. I don't even think I said the name of the album. I did say the name of the band though. It's the Fleet Foxes and the album is called Shore. It's really good. Hmm with my my four-year-old we're all about disney songs we hop in the car ready to go to preschool is all about disney songs it's let me let it go by frozen you're welcome with maui <laughs> and um what else um remember me from mm. the movie um the, the day of the dead movie um coco right. coco that's so, right oh that that's song is so good oh we sing these songs all the way to her school, and it's just happy, feel-good songs just really wake you up and just agree with cheering you on to work and to dropping off your kid at school. I mean, I'm with your daughter with the Moana album because Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote and produced all the music for Moana, so it was rightfully amazing. It is. I put it really loud, and I start dancing in the car and then I see other people dancing on the car so I can hear my music and like really Leah the other day I stopped at a, at a red light and these two big guys 
heard me singing and dancing in my car, and they were singing along and cheering. And I'm like, let's share the happiness. Yes. <laughs> it was crazy. It's kind of weird. But I was sharing our happiness with other people, and it's just, it was a very feel-good moment. Sounds like it. It reminds me of one time, like probably like two or three summers ago, I was driving down Route 2 with my windows open and we were at a stoplight and someone like leaned out their window to be like, what are you listening to? (laughs) (laughs) And then like, you know, the light turned green and we went separate ways and drove away. It was almost like what, like, did I just hear that correctly? Like, it was such a weird moment that I thought maybe I imagined that this man leaned out his window and asked me what I was listening to. And I don't even remember. That was so strange. It lets you know they're paying attention. (laughs) Not to just to the road, but to what's going around. Yeah. Sounds like a good way to find out about music right now. You know, it's like an addition to just looking up things online or listening to the radio. You can listen to what people are listening to as they drive by. I feel like that's a beautiful, it's a really good summer thing. And it's a really good pandemic way to share art, right? Just like play your music really loud. And it's uplifting and we all need that right now. We need to just, you know, just not focus on what's happening around us, but just focusing, taking things one day at a time. Yeah, for sure. So... Uh, do either of you have like any, any any TV shows or movies, any visual related stuff that you want to talk about? Well, like you said, I don't have much time to watch TV, but I did finish Mr. Robot. So that's a TV show that I was watching way back. And then the third season, I like had a baby and didn't pay attention. So um, it was interesting to come back to that. And I will say I was worried it was going to be like lost where I feel like they didn't have a plan. They had all these interesting ideas and the show went in all these different directions. Um, And for anyone who hasn't watched it, it's, it's about um, a computer hacker who also has um, kind of this alter ego called Mr. Robot. And they are trying to basically rebuild the economy by hacking this giant company called E-Corp. But you've got a really unreliable narrator. You never really know what's going on with him or his alter ego. And I was worried that since they introduced so many different possibilities that they wouldn't be able to tie it all together in the end. But I actually think it was a strong third season. And I'm sure it didn't satisfy everybody. But I found the ending actually really moving. And... I, one thing I, I feel confident about is that they knew where they were going from the beginning. Like when I saw the way it ended, I was like, yes, that was, I see how that was your plan from the beginning. Not something that you came up with, like after you'd already like written yourself into kind of an impossible situation. So I respect that. Um, and that's, that's the only TV show I've watched. And my husband and I watched it like, you know, with headphones on, <laughs> after our son was in bed um because you know that's that's what it's like because he still wakes up a lot he he does not sleep through the night so that's fun but yeah but we we made the commitment and we finished Mr. Robot and then we had a sense of accomplishment even though all we done was like watch a tv show we were like we've completed that good for us we did something (laughs) I haven't watched Mr. Robot and I've heard very little about it and I think I might have like interpreted the title too li- literally because I thought the whole gimmick is like that he was secretly a robot <laughs> okay I mean I don't want to give it away but that is not the conclusion okay. of the show he's not a robot <laughs> I mean I guess I can see why he would think that but that is not 
the case. Mr. Robot is the name of his, like, you know, his his dark, rebellious hacker side. And it actually comes from the name of his father's computer repair store. Um, he, he was the original Mr. Robot. Um, but yeah, no, no actual robots. Slightly disappointing, I guess, but what are you going to do? He's talking about robots. And my home is all about, again, Disney movies and WALL-E. Have you guys heard of the movie WALL-E? Oh, yeah, that's so good. Oh, my goodness. My daughter wants to watch that over and over again about the last robot that was left on Earth to clean up the planet. And um, that's all he does is just live his life. His best friend is a cockroach, which is the funny thing in the world. <laughs> and, um, and his adventure begins when a girl robot comes from outer space into planet Earth to see if there's any life left um, in, in, in the planet. Um, until they find uh until they until they do find find that life in on earth but um but the music is just amazing and the love story between Wally and Eva is just makes you want to fall in love all over again and um, um it's, 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 a, it's a classic I mean you can't go wrong with Disney. <laughs> And there's almost no words in it. It's almost completely without dialogue, which I think is just shows how amazing the visual storytelling is because you don't miss exactly. it at all. Exactly. It's a, um, it's a feel-good movie and um, a family movie that everyone can enjoy. Yeah, I actually watched Wally for a film class I took in undergrad, and it wasn't the first time I'd watched it. I'd seen it before, but I think we watched it for the week where we talked about Foley work because, like you were saying, Emily, there's not a lot of dialogue, but there is a lot of still between the music and and the sound effects with Wally and all the all the other robots and mechanical things in the movie. There's like a lot of Foley work in it, which for people who don't know Foley work is what they call making sound effects for movies, basically. If you didn't realize that that was someone's job, it is. And they just basically go in a room and record all random sounds and try to figure out how to make, for animated movies, like try to figure out how to make fanciful things with real objects in the world. Um, the sounds that they would make. So... Yeah, but the visual storytelling is amazing in Wally, and that it can still be so engaging and interesting, even with like very little dialogue. That's like a hot, uh, a high bar to reach to make something that's like engaging for kids without having any dialogue. I mean, I lost kind of how many times I've watched Wally already. I mean, she knows the script and she knows what's going to happen next. Yeah, those so still Disney people know exactly what they're doing. That's true. They got popular for a reason. so um i know maria you had talked about some of the nominees before but now do you want to go into a little bit about the latino books month award and you know um how that's decided and 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 just more details about that for people okay i'll just talk a little bit about it um so um latino books month was initiated by the rhode island latino arts and it's now in its eighth year here in Rhode Island, and it promotes literacy amongst Latino through the celebration of Latino authors, illustrators, and books that highlight Latino culture and Latin American identity. Um, Latino Books Month is usually celebrated in the month of May. This is a month-long celebration, and Ryla encourages librarians, teachers, educators, and booksellers to promote books written by and for Latinos, and to also read 
books both in English and Spanish written by Latino authors and illustrators. Um, so I am the chair of this uh, committee. Um, I work in collaboration with Marta Martinez, who's the executive director of the Rotary Latino Arts. Um, and the mission of the Rotary Latino Arts is to promote, encourage, and preserve the art, history, and heritage and culture of the Spanish-speaking people of Rhode Island. So back in 2014, Marta had asked me if I wanted to participate in a project that would be promoting Latino literature for children and teens. And she then told me about Latino Books Month. Um, with that information, I, we came up with the idea, well, why don't we have the Rhode Island Latino Books Month Book Award? Um, which is a book award very similar to other book awards that we have here in Rhode Island. Perhaps you have heard of the Rhode Island Children's Book Award, the Rhode Island Middle School Book Award, or even the Rhode Island Teen Book Award. So from that idea, the Rhode Island Latino Book One Book Award was born. And we pretty much work a little bit pretty much similar to these other book awards. Same idea. Um, the only difference is that um, we promote um, books for kids in grades kindergarten to 12th grade. Those other book awards focus on a specific specific grade. Uh, we're doing um, all grades and we break it down into four categories. So um, this is promoted all school year round beginning during Hispanic Heritage Month in September to give uh, teachers, um, school and public librarians the chance to read these books with their students and their patrons and to create programs that celebrate the wonderful work of all these Latino authors statewide. Um, how do they participate? Um, this is only, uh, all you have to do is read three books according to their grade level. Each category has between five to seven books. The books are mostly in English, some are bilingual. And at the end of May, families are asked to vote, um, students are asked to vote in school. Once we get all of those voting results, um, we invite two Latino authors um, before the pandemic began. Um, we invite them to the Rhode Island Festival Children's of Book and Authors so that students can meet these authors in person. So we're not just promoting Latino literature, we're also um, want these students to meet these Latino authors in person. Um, right now, of course, we'll probably be going virtual. And the other special thing about this is that we provide free books to um, the teachers and public and school librarians. Um, right now, we uh, we know that um, the budget's very tight and that teachers don't really have the budget to buy these books. So we work in collaboration with the Rhode Island Center of the with Kate Lenz, um, and she got a grant from Raising Readers, which helped us provide teachers, school librarians, public librarians with free books to um, be able to read these books to the students and then be able to vote for these authors to come to Rhode Island. And it's been a huge help. Um, we also provide bookmark and puzzles and posters. Um, all we ask of them is just to participate by getting their um, students to. Uh, listen to the book or hear the books or read them themselves and then vote. Um, it is a statewide um, thing. Everyone is welcome. And, um, and that's pretty much it. Um, again, this is our second year providing these free books. 
and we're very thankful to Raising Leaders, and um, we hope that um, more, we get more participants. If anyone is interested in learning more about this book award or even trying to, uh, or how to participate, they can visit us at so, um, www.rhodeislandlatinoarts.org um, slash Latino Books Month. And um, you can learn more. Okay, great. And that link will be in the show notes as well. So people okay. can look there if they want to find out more about that. So now we wrap up the show as we do every week with a segment that I like to call the last chapter where we take a bookish or library related debate and we talk about it and give our opinions about it. If you would like to listeners submit a topic for the last chapter, you can do that at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. So today's last chapter subject is series of books versus one-off novels. Well, I'm deeply conflicted because I mentioned that I'm three books into a series I love. And I feel like um, like if I'm forced to choose, I'm going to choose one-off. Children love series. I feel like I have to speak for the children and say that, you know, when they find a book that they like and they're comfortable with and they enjoy it, they want there to be more and more and more and more and more. So, but I do think that even if you're, I always feel like I like a series where all the stories happen in the same world, but I like each novel to stand by itself. It drives me crazy when there are cliffhangers. So I do think there's some situations where maybe you have to tell like such a gigantic story that it has to be a series. But I think that the bar is way too low and that people, so many people are like, I'm just going to start out planning to write a trilogy, especially in YA novels. There are so many trilogies, um, they really love the three books. And I also feel like sometimes they're doing that so that it can be optioned for a movie, which just annoys me, even though there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting your story to transcend, you know, the book form and be found in different media. But I'm just very suspicious of series because I feel like, did it need to be a series? Could it all have just each story stood on its own? And I also love it when I'm reading the works by a certain an author and I suddenly realized there's like a subtle connection that is one of my favorite reading experiences like Madeline Langell did that really well I read everything she wrote when I was a teenager and each of her novels stood alone but every once in a while a character from another novel would appear in another novel and I would just freak out and I don't know many authors who do that um and I just think that that's so beautiful but yes so I'm coming down on the side of one-offs even though I, I'm deeply conflicted I feel like too many series stop the madness that's the position i'm taking on series versus one-off you know i'm thinking about it and i and in thinking the kids that come to our library here in Pawtucket, i think the biggest hit with versus the one book versus the series book is the fact that authors are becoming more creative and now these books are becoming from regular books to um graphic novel series like the babysitter's club Huge, huge success for years to come. But now, to captivate the kids of this age, they turn it into graphic novels. And the good thing about these books is that they can stand on its own. At least, at least I can say for the Babysitters Club. I'm not sure about Dogman or Dara Wimpy Kid, but um, 
I think this is been on the idea of reading uh, one book versus series. And to tell you the truth, the majority of the kids that come here, only one is those series books. Uh, it's just been like going out like hot potatoes. It is no going wrong. And even when I try to stir them into the regular books with a lot of text, it's just, it doesn't really call their attention. So, um, the fact that a lot of these books who once were with a lot of text and now turn to graphic novels, like for example, um, Harry Potter, like, oh my God, it's just insane. And the insanity with Harry Potter, I mean, it's just uh, captivating a whole new audience who probably would not need, not probably pick up the book because you know, Harry Potter is a big giant book and every, every book is not little. It just gets bigger and bigger. Um, so, um, I don't know. I guess I um I'm I'm I think I'm a fan of both personally. Um, but I I like the I like the fact that now um now these chapter books have turned into graphic novels to reach those uh individuals who would not normally pick up that book. Oh man, Maria, that's such a good argument. I like how the choice was one off or series, and you were like, "What about series based on other series?" And you're so right; those are some of the most popular books um, in our collections right now. So I just have to say, impressive counter argument. <laughs> <laughs> and to to go off of the appeal of series, I also think parents really like series, especially if they have like indecisive kid, like kids who it takes them a long time to choose a book and find a book that they really like the parents are like okay they found this book that they like please tell me that there is like more of these books so we don't sometimes, have to go through sometimes but then sometimes, but then too. they turn and they're like they only will read this one series can you get them to read something else and you know what the other thing is they walk in there and they're like okay i need a book in this series but i don't know which ones my child has already read so the series turn on them at first parents like it and then they hate it and they're like please help my child read something else so i just have to say it's a double-edged sword for parents this year yeah well. and reading them in order i mean there's some families where they'll just like oh i will just take any and some are strictly no this is book one i'm gonna read this first and and no i have to read this one because this one's second and they won't they feel like they're gonna miss something if they just skip to a chapter uh, book number four or something so it's uh, it's kind of hard, but um, hey, as long as they're reading and they're enjoying and they're coming more more books, that's that's what makes me happy. <laughs> And I know when I was younger, particularly when I was like a teenager, I was very into the YA series. But I do have to say that I I appreciate when authors know when to stop a series, and I get upset when authors decide that they're going to write more books. So one of my favorite series is the Mortal Instruments series. I just love the world and the world building there. But I only read the first three books because it was like intended to be a trilogy. But in the main like series, she was like, I'm just going to write three more and there'll be six. And I'm just like, you followed the story arc. You had it all wrapped up in a bow and done. And then you went and wrote more. Um, but I know that my mom liked the books and she read the other three and ended up really enjoying them. So maybe I just have to give them another chance. But I appreciate when authors know when to stop with the series as well. So um, thank you both for joining me today on the show. 
And thank you all for listening. That has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a production of the Cranston Public Library. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. To find out everything your library can do for you, visit our website at cranstonlibrary.org. Downtime with Cranston Public Library is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you find your podcasts. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join us next week for more Downtime. Thank you.